0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We'll begin reading from verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, "'and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, "'and you shall call his name John. "'And you will have joy and gladness, "'and many will rejoice at his birth. "'For he will be great in the sight of the Lord "'and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink.' He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he backened to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. Amen. All human life uh, lives in a time dimension. Our lives are regulated by times and seasons. They're punctuated uh, by minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. And within these parameters, we are born, we grow old, we live... Uh, we fulfill dreams, we serve God, and then we die. Time moves relentlessly, inexorably, almost imperceptibly, but always inevitably f- forward and onward. That is the rhythm of life. Now, within this natural cycle, there are rests, there are pauses, there are silas, if you will. Men slumber, animals hibernate, the ground lies fallow from time to time. And just as important as being busy and rushing around and having momentum and doing stuff, it's also important times of rest uh, and times of silas, of pauses. And we need the rest as much as we need the rush. We like to rush, but we need the rest also. And the trick in life is to know the difference, understand the times and the seasons, to know when to pause and when to press on, to know when to rest and to know when to rush. And as in the natural, so in the spiritual, God deals with our lives in times and in seasons. And the outworking of his will punctuates and regulates our lives. And just as there are seasons of the soil, there are seasons of the soul. And all of us have these. In Psalm 31, 15, someone says, My times are in your hands. My seasons, my times are in your hand. How often in life have you entered into a season with God when it seemed like that your hopes and your dreams had gone into hibernation. When it looked like his plans and purposes for your lives had been shelved. where it seemed like your hopes had been put on hold and your dreams had been delayed. What do you do in such a time? How do you handle that? When you are resting, but you want to be rushing, how do you pause when everything in you wants to press on? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning recognizing the rhythms of God in your life. Zacharias and Elizabeth were a special couple. And they had a pedigree. Both of them came from a long line of the priesthood, all the way back to Aaron, the first and great high priest. Elizabeth, uh, her her very name, uh, Aaron's name is his wife's name is Elisheba. And it is reckoned that that's where Elizabeth came from, Elisheba. And so they had been, he had been a priest and she had married a priest and they had been in the priesthood for a very, very long time. They were old, they were well advanced in years. Now, in Jesus' day, it is reckoned there was about 18,000 priests So far, far too many for them to all to serve at the temple at one time. And so they were divided up into 24 courses. And Zacharias was of the course of Abiah, which was the eighth course or the eighth division, as it says. And so in one year, all they could serve in the temple would be two weeks in one whole year. And so it was a great privilege to serve. But because there were so many of them, they each had to uh, take their turn. Not only do we see a great pedigree, but their purity. It says they were righteous before God. These were honorable, blameless, obedient, sanctified people. This was one godly couple. No wonder God was pleased to use them. No wonder when God looked down for someone who could usher in the forerunner to Christ that he chose this particular couple. They were exactly the couple that God was looking for. And God does look on the earth, and he does look around to see whom he may use. But they had a problem. The problem was that they were childless. Elizabeth was barren. They were well advanced in years. Their biological clocks had run down and had stopped, as it were, as far as reproduction was concerned. Barrenness, you must understand, in Bible days uh, was looked upon as God's displeasure. Or even more, that there was hidden sin in your life and that's why you could not conceive. So it was a big issue. It wasn't looked upon as a medical problem. It was looked upon as a spiritual problem. And so this was a big issue. And remember the terrible tension that this stigma and shame, because that's what it was in those days, would bring to a family. you remember the, the tensions there was between... Uh, Sarah and Hagar in the family of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, you, you remember the the feelings there was, the dysfunction there was in that family because Sarah was without child and, and so forth and Hagar was having Abraham's uh, son. I remember also between Leah and Rachel uh, and how that there were such a uh, animosity had come into that family because Rachel was born, and and, and Leah, she was just having child after child after child and was using that against Rachel. And so you have to understand that in those days it was a big thing, and people looked upon it and frowned upon it. There must be something wrong with you. God is displeased with you. There's, there's sin in your life that you're not dealing with. And yet, and yet we see here that this couple were a righteous couple. They were without blame. They were honorable. They were upright. If ever any couple should have had a child, it should have been this couple. It was their dream. It was what they always wanted. Why wasn't it happening for them? Why couldn't she have a child? They were doing God's will. They were doing God's work. They loved the Lord. They loved the house of God. They served Him faithfully. So why the barrenness? Have you ever wondered why my dream is not being fulfilled? Why it seems like God is not answering my prayer? I can see that person getting their prayer answered to see that dream been filled in that man's life, but but it's not happening for me. The thing that I want to happen isn't happening. And I'm doing my best, and I love the Lord, and I serve him, and, you know, I know there's no secret sin in my life, but so why, why is it not happening for me? Do you ever feel those things? The meter's running, the years are can pass quickly, time seems to be running out. So what do you do? How do you handle that? Should you keep on believing? Should you keep on praying? Or should you just give up and say, well, maybe the Lord doesn't want that for me, so I just, I'll just let that slide. I'll just let that go past. Let's do what Zacharias and Elizabeth did. What did they do? They continued to serve God anyway. They had served God for years and years and years. And during all that time they were serving, they were hoping and praying and believing and trusting for a child that didn't come. Now, many times believers Get to a point where they feel, they may not say it, but they feel God has let me down. It didn't happen for me. And God knew I wanted that, but He didn't give it to me. And sometimes they get angry or cynical or just walk away. I've had enough. I've heard that so many times over the years with people. But this couple didn't. Even though their dream seemingly was not going to be fulfilled, and it looked like God was not going to answer their prayer, they still decided (laughs) to serve God faithfully nonetheless. Because there are so many priests... uh, And as I said, they all couldn't serve at the one time. Even within the division of priests, lots were cast to see who would do what. So the high priest would cast lots to say, Well, that's your job for these two weeks, or that's your job for these two weeks. And it it so happened that Zacharias, the lot fell on him to burn incense. And incense was burned morning and evening. And his job was to burn the incense. Now, again, you have to understand that the chances of being chosen to do this was very, very slim because there were so many to choose from. So for the lot to follow him to burn incense was a high privilege indeed. And it was a high privilege for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, to get into the holy place. Now in the temple there was the outer court that was built on the side of the tabernacle of the wilderness. There was an outer court to serve. But then there was the holy place and the most holy place. And as you go into the holy place uh, on your right hand side there would be the table of showbread, where the loaves of bread would be. And on your left hand side would be the candelabra, the seven branch candlestick that was burning with oil night and day. Uh, all these things represent Christ, the light of the world, the bread of life. But then opposite that and a little further back was the golden altar of incense. And when the incense burned, that represented the prayers of God and the worship, sorry, the prayers of the people going up to God and the worship going up to God. And the next thing beyond that, just beyond the curtain behind the golden altar of incense was the most holy place that no priest, out of all the 18,000, only one, the great high priest, was allowed to go in there, and that was only once a year. And so, to get to the golden altar of incense was the closest place that any priest was ever going to get to, to the most holy place on the face of the earth, where the ark was, and the mercy seat was, and the shekinah glory of God was. So that's the closest he's going to get. But just to get that close, even once in your life, remember, (laughs) these priests, almost all of them would never, ever get this opportunity to stand before the altar of incense and be so close to the most holy place. So this was a privilege that God afforded to this man. In a way, I think it was a reward for his faithfulness. He never quit. He never gave up. He never became cynical. He never walked away. He never says, well, God's not answering my prayer. Well, we can't have children, so God's displeased with me, and I'm displeased with him, and I don't want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, no, not at all. And I think that God honored this man and gave him this wonderful opportunity that he would be the envy of all of the priests. He would be the envy to be able to do this. And so... Here he is serving God. Never let your dream stop you from doing your duty. God has given us a duty to follow him, to serve him. Don't let your dream get in the way of that. If your dream seemingly is not being fulfilled, don't back off your duty. Keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, God will find a way to honor you, to bless you, in ways that perhaps you would never dream of. <laughs> he probably never thought in his lifetime he'd ever get this chance to stand at the golden altar and to put the incense on. But he did, because God had blessed him so. In First Samuel chapter 3, uh, you remember how that little Samuel came along, how Hannah had had prayed for Samuel for for a, for a man child and how he had came along and uh, uh, and how that after he had been weaned uh, she gave him to Samuel or gave him to Eli the priest and just as he was a, a, a boy lying in his bed God came to him in the night and spoke to him uh, and and told him to say something about Eli that all the years of Israel would tingle at this was a big, big thing he was to do. And it frightened him. He was just a boy, and he was going to have to go to the priest and basically tell him that God had finished with the priest. He had finished with that priesthood. It was over. He was so displeased with Eli and his sons. His sons were just rascals. He had abused the priesthood, and the priesthood had become corrupt, and idolatrous in many cases and God had enough of it. And he chose this little boy to tell Eli the priest his displeasure. <coughs> now the little boy's job was part of his job was was to open the doors of the house of the Lord. It doesn't seem like much but it was his duty. It was his duty. And I'm going to read you scripture. After God gave him this vision, this dream, this command, this job, after he got this, in 1 Samuel 3:15, and Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. He lay until the morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He did not let his dream stop him doing his duty. He could have been so frightened or so excited <laughs> that he could have rushed in there to, to Eli and forget about his duty. But no, he did his duty first. Yes, I have a big thing to do. Yes, I have a message to deliver. Yes, it's a major thing I've got to say to this priest, but I've got to open the doors of the house of the Lord. That's my job. That's my duty. So I will do that. And then after that, I will go and deliver this message. Continue to serve God anyway. It may not look like God's coming through for you. It may, not, it may seem like he's not answering your prayer, but you make up your mind, I'm going to serve God anyway. Job said, Though God slay me, yet I will trust him. I shall then come forth as gold. And that's the attitude that we need to have. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to serve God even when it looked like all hope was lost of having their dream fulfilled. And in the natural it was. Then realize that delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. In the original it says, for your prayer was heard. It would seem like that Zacharias and Elizabeth had given up praying that prayer, following that dream. Because they looked at everything in the natural. And in the natural biologically, reproductively, it wasn't going to happen. Who could blame them for giving up on that prayer? And we also probably know that because of his attitude, his reaction to the message of Gabriel. Your prayer was heard. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's praying for a specific thing. He needs an answer. And this angel, the angel Gabriel, the same angel, comes to him. He prayed 21 days. 21 days. And he fasted. And Gabriel says, from the first moment you prayed, your words were heard. And I've come for your words. But the prince of Persia withstood me, speaking of the demonic spirit that was over that region. And he says, in fact, I had to get Michael, the archangel, to come to help me to break through. For from the moment you prayed that prayer, it was heard in heaven. But there was a delay in me getting here. But now I've come for your words. It was only 21 days. Well, yeah, still a delay. But this couple's delay was longer than 21 days or 21 weeks or 21 months or maybe even 21 years. But the angel said, Your prayer was heard. And end look what Zechariah said to the angel, verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Hmm. How shall I know this? And the angel took that as unbelief. Now, he... <laughs> You say, but hold a minute. Did not Mary say something similar to this same angel just a few months later, Gabriel? And she says, how, 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 can, how can this be saying I know not a man? And yet, Gabriel didn't treat Mary's words as unbelief, but he treated Zacharias's words as unbelief. What's the difference? Mary had no precedent Zacharias had, had precedent for this. Abraham and Sarah was his precedent. And he, he, he knew the story of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, he's a priest all his life. He knows the scriptures. And they were well advanced in years. They were beyond reproduction. And he knows that, he knows that Hannah was barren. And yet, in spite of that, and she had a little Samuel. He knows that Rachel was born, and in spite of that, eventually God opened her womb. So there was lots of precedent for this. It's not as if this was the first time. The scriptures were there. The word was there for him to see. But for whatever reason, he chose to look purely in the natural. And you'd think if an angel came to you, <laughs> the mighty angel Gabriel, a message, you'd think you'd automatically believe it, but he didn't. And the angel caused him to be dumb for the whole nine months till John was born. But you see, Mary had no precedent. No virgin had ever conceived in the history of the world. So her question was not of unbelief, her question was just simply I'm not married, how's this going to happen? which was a fair point to make, wasn't it? And, of course, he explained how it was going to happen and so forth. And you know the nativity story. And so we have to realize that delay is not denial. If God delays the answer, you can be sure he's got a purpose in it. There's a reason for it. And we may rack our brains and we may wonder why and we may be upset and disappointed and all the rest of it. But if we can honestly say, Lord, there must be a reason for the delay and I'm going to trust you in the delay because you know better than I know. And he does. <laughs> he, thankfully, he does much more than we do. He already sees all our tomorrows. Then you've got to trust in the timings of God. For Zechariah and Elizabeth and Abraham and Sarah, it seemed like the child coming was too late. Too late. Past the time of reproduction. Too late. Cannot naturally conceive and give birth too late for Mary and Joseph it seemed like the child coming was too soon too early they were only betrothed legally in a sense they were married and they had all the legalities of marriage but they had none of the benefits of it they weren't living together they hadn't consummated their marriage they never had been on anymore So it seemed like this was too soon. (laughs) And as far as Joseph was concerned, it certainly was a massive shock to him, wasn't it? As well as to Mary. But God's timing is always perfect. Always perfect. He doesn't run to man's timetable. He has his own timetable, and we're the better for it. John could not have been born any later for he was the forerunner. Jesus couldn't have been born any earlier for he was the Messiah. It was perfect timing because God knows all things. Hundreds of years after the prophet spoke, hundreds of years, Christ was born. Galatians 4:4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son born of a woman born under the law when the fullness of time had come. God had a moment, He had a time, and it had to run its course. And God was not about to change it for anybody. There's a fullness of time. Now, remember, this is the first time God has spoken to anybody in Israel for 400 years. A long, long time for a nation to wait to hear from heaven. A nation that had all the prophets and all of the scriptures. But for 400 years, heaven was silent. Not a peep from heaven. And then suddenly, suddenly, while Zacharias is putting the incense on the golden altar suddenly the mighty angel of God appears at the right hand side of the altar and speaks to this man. First time in 400 years. But it was the right time. The forerunner was to come. The Messiah was to follow quickly afterwards. All in God's time. And it was the right time. Why the right time? Because it had been a very turbulent world. And the Romans now ruled almost what was the then known world. And not only that, they had ruled for a long time. And they had what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was an enforced peace, but a peace nonetheless. Because very few would have rose up against the might of Rome and not only that that they were master road builders they built great roads some of them hundreds of miles long for their armies and then for trade and so suddenly a whole empire is opening up because Christ's gospel is going to have to go to the ends of the earth, and it was going to be easier to do that in the Roman Empire because of the roads that they built and the viaducts and the aqueducts and the sea lanes and the trade routes was opening up. You remember when Pilate crucified Jesus? You remember the thing he put in the uh, the title he put above the cross? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, the three great languages of the day representing almost all of the then known world. So, this was the perfect time for the Messiah to come, the perfect time for the forerunner to be born to usher in the Messiah. And if God's got a perfect time for the big things, he's got a perfect time for the little things. And he's got a perfect time for you and a perfect time for me. And the trick is to trust him for his timing. And that's what they had to do. Moses was born at the perfect time. It didn't seem like it. Because a Pharaoh had risen up who knew not Joseph And because the Hebrews in the land of Goshen had become stronger and larger in population, then this pharaoh became the first recorded anti-Semite in history and sent out word to to all the... What do you call the ladies that deliver the babies? (laughs) Andrea. Should have known that. You're a midwife. And they were to kill all the little newborn baby Hebrew boys. They were to throw them into the Nile. And God knew that his people was going to have to leave Egypt and somebody was going to have to lead them out of it. So he had that little baby born. And Moses' parents put him in that little ark of bulrushes and floated him down the Nile. Imagine the very place that should have been the place of his death became the place of his rescue and his salvation, as it were. And it was Pharaoh's daughter who found him and took him into the palace. Imagine the very one that God is rising up to be the, to be the leader, the rescuer, the deliverer from the Egyptians. Now God has got him right in the very palace of Egypt. And the timing was perfect it would be quite a while before it would happen. Things had to build up to it. But whenever God was ready to deliver them, he'd got Moses in a place where he was ready to be the deliverer. It may have taken 80 years. And sometimes God takes a while to get us ready for what he wants us to be and to do. Sometimes it takes a lot of years for that to happen but if we trust him. Samuel was born in time. The priesthood had become corrupt, as we said earlier. God was going to bring it to a close. There was going to be a new order. The new order would be the prophets. Samuel would be the first of this new order. And he would open up a school of the prophets, which would be carried on and expanded the various ones through Elijah and Elisha. Samuel was the one to, be, to initiate it, to start it. And you remember how Hannah and Elkanah, his mom and his dad, how that each year they'd go up to the temple and Elkanah had another wife, Penina, And every time they'd up to the temple to make their sacrifices, Penina would really, really round on Hannah and torture her and say the most unkind things to her because she was barren. And and that particular year had just got to a height that she was just broken and she was just sitting in the corner, just, her, only her lips were moving. There was no sound coming out. It was just in her belly. She was just crying onto God. And Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. And she said, he said, you're drunk, Mrs. She said, I'm not drunk, sir. I'm crying onto God. I, 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 I want a man-child. And, and if God gives me a man-child, I, I'll give him back to God to serve him all the days of his life. And Eli says, Go home. God will give you a man child. And she did, and he did. And nine months later, little Samuel was born. And about three years later, when she had him weaned, she took him back to the temple and said to Samuel there, and we had a promise to God that it would lend him to the Lord all the days of his life. (laughs) What a sacrifice! And he, no razors to come to his hair. He wasn't to touch wine or strong drink. He was to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. To be a Nazarite, he could be a Nazarite. He could choose to be a Nazarite for six months if you wanted. But there's a few people in the Bible. Samson was another one, by the way, that was a Nazarite all the days of their life from the day they were born. And it was just the right time. Here he is, as a little boy in the temple, and suddenly God's starting to use him. He's starting to be a prophet. prophet's not just a foreteller, but a forth-teller. And he would speak to the priest. He would foretell God's message. You see, God knew that the time was coming whenever the people would no longer want a theocracy. They wouldn't want God to directly rule over them. They'd want a monarchy. They would want kings like other nations. And they cried unto God and said, give us a king like other nations. Samuel says, don't do this. It's wrong. No, no, we want a king of God, our nations. Okay. God says, we'll give him a king. And he gave him Saul. And Saul wasn't a good king. In fact, he gave him lots of kings and most of them were not good kings. Almost all of them were not good kings. And who was to deal with these kings? The prophets. It would be the prophets who would stand up and deliver God's message to the kings and to the kingdom. So Samuel was born in the perfect timing of God. Acts 2-1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Those disciples, Jesus resurrected for 40 days. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, even to 500 at one time. Met with his disciples on a few occasions. 40 days he ascended back to heaven says go and wait for the promise of the father so they went into Jerusalem to the upper room and they waited and they waited and they waited not knowing how long they were going to wait or exactly what they were waiting for other than God's power was going to come but then when the day of Pentecost had fully come and God's perfect time then their lives were transformed and they went out and they shook up their world Galatians 6, 9, we preached on it recently, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Hebrews 2, 23, though it tarry, wait for it, it shall surely come and will not tarry. Psalm 37:23. the steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord and he leads us one day at a time. This is why we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. One day at a time, he leads us. Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. Spurgeon said, that takes care of my steps. He restores my soul. That takes care of my stumbles, he said. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That takes care of my present, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That takes care of my future. (laughs) And so here we are today, believers, in the very hand of God, trusting him in all of his goodness, in all of his wisdom, in all of his mercy, in all of his plans and For our lives, we're trusting him to fulfill them no matter how long it takes. Now, let me tell you, it's going to take more than time to fulfill them. It's going to take all of eternity. So, let's not be in a rush. Let's rest in him and his goodness and his knowledge. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.